An inappropriate workplace relationship in Boston. An ex-NFL superstar stealing money from the taxpayers. A questionable hit that knocked out one team's quarterback for the foreseeable future. All that and more coming up now on Zach and Jamar. What's up, everybody? I'm Zach McCord. I'm Jamar Smith. And welcome to the Zach and Jamar podcast. Today is Tuesday, September 27th, 2022, as we record this podcast. And we're going to bring you some recaps of week three NFL action and discuss some of the hot topics that are going on so far in sports. But before we get started with the conversations about sports, I just wanted to take a second to really thank our audience. The support so far that we've received has been out of this world. Uh, Cannot begin to thank you guys enough. A lot of you are going out there, you're sharing our podcast, you're showing your friends, you're reposting, and some of you are even helping us out with some of our uh, startups. Like, uh, got to give a shout out to Noah Clark for helping us with our beat. Uh, we got some people working on some art for us right now. Uh, shout out to RJ and Allison Huffman uh, helping us out with some t-shirts and everything like that. And uh, Jay Moore, I'll give you an opportunity real quick to go ahead and... Uh, given some of your uh, thanks and everything to the audience as well. Hey, man, listen, thank you, thank you, thank you, a thousand times thank you. I can't say how much we both appreciate what you guys are doing for us. We love, like he said, we love the feedback. We love, you know, everything you guys are doing. Don't worry, I will be getting a better mic soon. Don't worry, we'll be we'll be all good and set up. Um, you know... I don't have one particular person. Thank you to my family. Thank you to my friends. You know, Nick, uh, I have friends. I'm sorry. I have a lot of friends. I just don't want to name them all. But Nick is the top one because we've been working for a while together. Um, All of Zach's friends, I know you by faith. Can't think of your names. I sincerely apologize. But thank you again. Thank you all for everything. And continue to listen because we're only going to be better from here. Absolutely. It's just we've been blown away by all the support so far. Uh, We really hope that you'll be continuing to support us and just thank you from the bottom of both of our hearts. Um, It really means a lot as we try to get this thing off the ground. But with that being said, we're going to go ahead and uh, we're going to start pivoting to our topics for the week. Uh, Number one, we have some news from Major League Baseball. That would be that Albert Pujols has hit his 700th home run. Uh, He did so this week, giving him a total of 21 home runs on the season with a 264 batting average, seeing a little bit of a career resurgence in the year that he announced that he was going to retire. Jamar, what are your thoughts so far uh, after seeing Pujols hit that historic 700th home run this week? Oh, it was a, I loved it. And it was a bomb too. He He uncorked that thing, boy. He let that thing ring. And let me tell you, to the fan who didn't give him back his, his you know, 700th home run ball, like, <laughs> I can't get mad at you. I kind of applaud you because that's money. That's money in the pocket. But I don't know, man. I feel like you, he deserves, Pujols deserves his 700th uh, home run ball. And, you know, you should, you should get it to him. But I ain't mad at you for trying to get some money out of it. I ain't mad at all. But isn't it great when you see an old dog never have to learn new tricks and still oh, go absolutely. out there? And still go out there and just sling, basically sling it. You know what I mean? Like, in a sense, just go out there and have fun. He's been enjoying himself this season. And I've noticed that. I thought he disappeared from baseball. 
I thought he was gone. I Last I remember, he was on the Angels. I don't know anything about what happened during his time with the Angels. I just knew he was on the Angels. And he wasn't batting terribly, but he wasn't batting that great either. So to see him have, you know, a drop-off in his L.A. days, come back home to the Cardinals and then have 21 home runs so far this season and hit his 700, I think that is a phenomenal amount of work. And he also has 3,000 hits, if I'm not mistaken, somewhere around that, something about that stat. I believe it's 3,000 hits. But Yeah, so Albert Pujols has 3,378 hits, so you are correct yeah, there with the yeah. 3,000 hits. That's – and that's he's up in a rare echelon. He's up in the upper echelon when it comes to stats like that. So congratulations to you, Mr. Pujols, and enjoy the rest of your season and ride off into the sunset because I know this is it. Absolutely. And I'll hit on a couple of points that you talked about there. Uh, number one, the fan that didn't give him back his ball. I uh, 100% got to commend Pujols, number one, for being a class act. Uh, Holes has always kind of been the guy that doesn't want the attention, um, not a huge fan of the spotlight. And when he said that he wasn't really pressed on, you know, material possessions and everything like that, that was a definitely just the best way to handle that situation. And also for the fan, like, I can't blame anyone. If you look online right now, they're talking about that that ball could t- potentially be valued at around a half a million to a million dollars. I am not going to give away a half a million to a million dollar payday. And people think, you know, like, oh, he earned that. That was his 700th home run, da-da-da-da-da. It needs to be in the Hall of Fame. And I understand that, but that means that either Pujols, the Cardinals, the Dodgers, or the Hall of Fame should put that bread out there to make sure that they procure the ball. I don't believe that it is that fan's responsibility to give the ball back. If you think about it, Pujols has made hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars throughout his entire career. When he signed his deal with the Angels, it was one of the richest deals in the history of Major League Baseball. And you don't often get a piece of history falling into your lap that could completely change your financial situation and let you live comfortably for the rest of your life. So for anyone that says like, oh, I would have given the ball back to him or, you know, nah, that's his lie. ball. You're lying. Exactly. That's a lie. You're lying. Exactly. Because I'm not, I, even I, I said he should get the ball back. I'm not giving that ball back if I was to catch that bad boy. No right. way. And, like that guy who gave the ball back to Aaron judge, like, you know, he's a college student or whatever. If I was his parents, I would be absolutely (laughs) frustrated because I'm sitting here thinking like, Oh, I'm paying for your college and, you know, helping with this, that, and the third, and you're just going to put hundreds of thousands of dollars back into someone else's hand without a second thought. Like you have to be practical here. You're crazy. You're crazy. Like, that's more money than most people are going to make in a decade, and you're just going to throw that away. That's absurd to me. So anyone that comes for that fan, give me a break. And I want to touch on another point as well about you talking about pool holes, just kind of round up to our conversation from last week about the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. And the reason why (laughs) you didn't hear about him is because the Angels only made the playoffs that one time during his stay in Anaheim, and it just... They're a waste of space. Like, they took Mike Trout, Albert Pujols, Anthony Rendon, Shohei Otani, had all four of those people on the same team. They also had a gold glove winner at shortstop in Andrew Jolton Simmons. 
and a decent supporting cast, and they blew the opportunity at every given point that they had over the last 10 years. The Angels just refused to take a different approach and put it together. So that's the reason why you didn't hear about pool holes. And I'm glad that he got out of there. I'm glad that he's going back home to the Cardinals. I am not the biggest fan of the St. Louis Cardinals, but I would love to see him ride out into the sunset with a World Series victory because that would just put a cap on a three-time MVP, Rookie of the Year, 11-time All-Star, two-time Gold Glove, six-time Silver Slugger, won a batting title, won three times uh, Major League Player of the Year, and then also having won two World Series already, I think that it would be a perfect end cap on a storied career, and it would be a great bounce back after him being put out into ambiguity in Anaheim. Well, hey, look, (laughs) the man is doing what he can. He's redeeming himself for his lost times due to being an Angels player, so we can only commend him for that. Absolutely. Um, So... Kudos to Albert Pujols, and we're going to move on to some NBA news. Uh, Jamar, you actually shot me this text at, what, 1 o'clock in the morning uh, one night when I was coming home from work this week, and I didn't know what to make of it. First of all, I thought that Brad Stevens was still the head coach of the Boston Celtics. That's how oh, out of the loop man. I am with their oh, coaching situation. Man. How how but, long has he been out of there? Was that Ime Adoka's well, first year? Was, or Yeah, that was his first year, I'm pretty sure. If not his first year, his second year. But he hasn't been the coach that long. But regardless, he, he did a lot. He did a lot for that team <laughs> on and off the court, clearly. Absolutely. The Celtics, uh, kind of surprising that they didn't wind up making it to the NBA Finals last year. Um, I believe that they swept the Brooklyn Nets, uh, you know, with that talent over there with Kyrie and Kevin Durant. Um, and they were a powerhouse last year on the court. But um, so we give a little bit of background information to the fans that are listening. So Idoka had an affair with a woman on the Boston Celtics staff, and he is facing a one-year suspension for a violation of the team's code of conduct. So the big thing that needs to be pointed out here is that this is not a violation of NBA rules. This is a violation specifically of the Boston Celtics workplace policy. And Jamar, I'm going to go ahead and let you uh, tell me what you're thinking as far as the suspension and what impact it's going to have on the Celtics this season. As far as impact on the Celtics season, it's going to, it's going to affect it, but not, in the way that most people think like I think it's going to bother them like they're going to have to deal with this probably for the majority of the season if not at least the first half before people stop caring or stop you know talking about it not caring but stop talking about it and I think they they can ride out that hardship but I think it's going to be a rocky road for them because this isn't just something that happened this wasn't a player's thing this was your coach your head coach the one who's supposed to lead you guys to the promised land, so to speak. And he's out here doing frivolous, scandalous things, all while being married to the great Neil Long. I don't get it. So, outside of the fact that it's going to affect the team, Ime Udoka, you have lost your mind. How? And I don't care what nobody says about, well, you don't know what goes on in their household. You're right. I don't. And I don't care. You're, <laughs> you 
are messing around with a coworker when you have me along at home. You're crazy. You're insane. Now that I've spoken my piece as a male and how much I love me along, he should it's a, a, He just needs to leave. He needs to be fired. Screw a suspension. Because not only was he having basically an affair with this woman, he was making uh, sexual, not necessarily gestures, but he was being, he was basically being inappropriate at work and talking inappropriately to them at work. So um, just to kind of clear that up, the quote from Shams, I'm not even going to try and pronounce Shams' last name, but according to Shams, uh, the investigation was sparked by unwanted comments that Udoka made towards the woman involved in the situation in the workplace. That's what sparked the investigation. Um, And I'm just going to kind of jump in with what my thoughts are here as far as, like, I agree with you. This man has lost his ever-loving mind. Like, these coaches make millions of dollars a year. And when it comes to that, like, I don't understand how you can put making millions of dollars a year on the line over just you know uh extramarital affair is the way that i'm going to put it like you're going to throw millions of dollars away over an extramarital affair i just don't understand what the logic is there because if i was making millions of dollars i would make sure that i read every section of every piece of paper that i signed make sure that i crossed my t's dotted my eyes i would make sure that i'm protecting that job because you can't just look to give for you can't just look a gift horse in the mouse when it comes to how much money that you're being paid. And also just in general, as somebody who, you know, manages in a workplace, like inner workplace relationships can 100% complicate everything that's going on and it can bring down morale and it can do a lot of negative things. And I just don't understand why you would want to put yourself in that position when you're trying to, Pursue an NBA title, number one, but also just if you're trying to be a decent human being and make a positive work environment that people can actually thrive in, I don't understand why you would willingly try to institute that toxic culture when you could just go home and be with your wife. And that's the thing. They're also both married. That can definitely lead to potential workplace violence. And then you're putting your coworkers in a bad situation. I know it sounds like, you know, I'm talking about a local business or whatever, your Walmart, you know, but, you know, the NBA, it's still a workplace. And I'm going to treat it like a workplace when I talk about it here, because that's just unwelcome conduct. I he is just like you said, I, like I'm trying to get my words together because I'm still in shock at the fact that he even like did this. I don't know what's worse, the fact that he did it or the fact that he, I guess, thought he was so in the clear that he could make inappropriate comments while at work. Because in a, you basically snitched on yourself right. by making those comments at work and then somebody hearing those comments and then they did an investigation. So you must have wanted to get caught or you just play, like we said, you just playing dumb because why even jeopardize yourself with I'll never understand cheating, period. Like, I don't I don't get cheating, period. Like, if you're going to cheat, be single, period. Like, there's no other Absolutely. way around that. Like, if you're going to cheat, be single. But to be basically married, engaged with that, whichever they were, and then you go out and just say, oh, I'm going to have a, a fun time with my coworker, you know? Because that's basically what it is. I don't care about if somebody's above or, you know, under somebody. That's a coworker. Y'all are working together at the same facility 
might be doing different tasks, but you're working at the same facility. And for him to cheat, I don't, I don't know what you make of it, but a, a one-year suspension is not it. I, I don't think that's. I just think he should. I think he should fire him because what you're saying is this type of behavior is okay. Just don't get basically don't get caught. You won't get a year suspension. I know that this isn't college basketball, but what I'm going to say is, is that if you are going to be a leader of men, you should make sure that your character is impeccable. If you want people to respect you, if you want to be, you know, loved and you want to be revered for how good you are at your job, you need to make sure that you are being the best person that you can be and to come out and do something so immoral and then still try to say that you are a leader of men. I don't think that that should fly, and I agree with you with the fact that he should be fired from the Boston Celtics. And probably, like, you know, if I was a team that was looking for a head coach, I would stay away from him because how the hell am I supposed to have my team respect this man when he's out here, you know, making questionable decisions such as that? If you're going to be a leader of men, you need to make sure that you are doing better. If you are going to hold people accountable for their actions as a coach, you need to make sure that you're holding yourself accountable for your actions. And I'm not going to be able to look past that if I'm a player. Then that's kind of like the same thing. Like, you know, you look at Tristan Thompson, like uh, you can't look at him as a leader in a locker room for what he's been doing as far as, you know, cheating on Khloe Kardashian every time he gets a chance. So even from a player standpoint, I think that you need to hold yourself to a better standard as far as your character is. But speaking of character, I am going to tell you what I think is the worst part about this entire thing and I am absolutely disgusted by the national media and by social media with the way that they have handled this situation the fact that there have been open reports out there with no credibility backing them up that are putting female Boston Celtics employees names out there and speculating on whether or not they were the person that Udoka was having the inappropriate relationship with it just absolutely disgusts me and I cannot believe that people out there think that that's okay Okay, you're putting these women in the spotlight for something that they may or may not have even done, and you are putting them in this uncomfortable position where people are then attacking them for thinking that, you know, they were participating in this. And A, what I have to say is even if, you know, it happened to be the right person, they don't deserve to be attacked because they were taken advantage of by somebody who was in a position of power in their workplace. And even if it was consensual, I'm sorry, even if it was consensual, they need to understand that there's still an imbalance of power in that case. And so that person should be treated as if they are a victim, even if they were consenting in this case. And number two is, is those women who were not participating, they don't deserve that scrutiny for just doing their jobs and being present in their workplace. I'm over how the national media and how social media are treating this. And I think that we all need to clean it up and make sure that we are being decent human beings before we just decide that we want to get in on the discourse. Yeah. And I'm not going to bash any woman's name or anything like that. Cause that's just wrong. In my opinion, that's wrong. And you have no right to talk about someone who you have no idea about. And you don't, and you don't even, nobody knows the real situation. Like we've heard three or four different reports about this. So no one really knows the situation. So why we're even trying to find out to find the woman for whatever reason doesn't make any sense to me. Well, and I will say this, the position of power thing is a great point. 
just know, and I'm just this is just me speaking. She should be held. She shouldn't be scrutinized, but she should be held just about as much accountable as he is because if it was consensual, at least if it was consensual and like he didn't like force anything or what have you, she's just as much to blame as he is. But that doesn't give anyone the right to go and try to find her, find out who she is, and bash her for whatever reason. Like, who's to say? Like, because the way they're bashing her, it's like as if she's the re- she's the initiator. How do we, we who do, how do we know that she's the one initiating it? We don't know that. We have no clue what happened. And it could be the same. It could be just like you said, a position of power thing, where he kind of made it, made his place known. That you know, hey, you know, I'm top dog here, so da 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 da. You know what I mean? Like he could have done something like that. We don't know, but as far as if it be, if it was consensual and there was no choice, like no form of power being used in this situation, she should be held just about as just as accountable as he is, and he shouldn't be taking as big of the hit. I guess is the best way to put it. Like she should take some hit too, but she shouldn't be treat it like she was just a piece of meat because that's how they're that's how they're portraying her as like she was just she's not the victim she's the initiator she's the one that caused all this like it's her fault it's not her fault these were two adults and doing adult things so don't and let's not act like people don't you know get it on with one another like that's that's the problem i'm having with it too like people are acting like sex is weird like like that's the way they're making it sound like oh my god they had sex like Oh, blasphemy, like, uh, you know, heathen, like, you know what I mean? Like, they're just sitting there calling out names for them doing something that adults do, you know, adults do that. So don't, don't sit there and try to make her out to be the bad guy because she had sex with a guy, you know, like, don't do that. Like, we as people got to be better about that. And like, with social media being the way it is, it's going to be hard for that to even be a thing. Like, for people right. to be normal about it. And I think that this is, like, a good example of kind of how things are treated in our society and some kind of the deep-rooted misogyny that we face in society in that people are trying to shift that blame onto her. I'm not trying to absolve her of all blame, and I'm not trying to absolve her of if she was also in a relationship. I'm not trying to absolve mm-hmm. her of, you know, cheating or anything like that. Um, but we should not be demonizing her. We should not be villainizing her because for men, sex is looked at as a positive thing. And for women, it is looked at as a thing that makes them less than. And I think that that's something that we should acknowledge here. And we should try to, you know, push out those societal biases and try to make sure that we're covering this fairly. Um, you know, even if this person was the initiator, I definitely think that, the Boston Celtics owe it to her to shield her and props to them for not releasing names or oh, anything absolutely. like that, keeping absolutely. that under keeping that under wraps. And I don't think that she should feel the full brunt of the punishment. I definitely think that, you know, whatever workplace mm-hmm. conduct policies she signs, she should be held accountable to that extent. But I definitely think that they shouldn't villainize her and that also that Idoka should feel the full brunt of this while you know, she is protected by the Celtics organization and only held accountable for whatever workplace policies she agreed to in her contract. Okay, I'll say one last thing about it and then we can, you know, shift topics. Don't and if you if you are gonna, you know, punish her, don't give her a worse punishment than you gave Udoka. Like don't make it like he got a year suspension, she's fired or something, you know, something like that. Like don't don't do that. 
Because if oh, you're going to fire her or do something like that, you need to do the same thing to him. So that's the other part of it. Like, you know, because the same thing you just said about the misogyny and how men are treated differently than women. Nah, 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 nah. If you're going to suspend him for a year, don't give her anything worse than that. Don't if you she probably shouldn't even get a full year suspension just because of the probably because this is where the position of power comes in. He should be he should know better. Not that she shouldn't, but he with a higher position should know better. And he didn't. So he got the suspension. But don't give her something worse. Don't fire her or be like, you know, you're suspended a whole year without pay or some stupid something stupid like that. Don't don't you dare. <laughs> Don't you dare do that because it's only going to get worse if you even think you're going to do that. Yeah, definitely agree. Um, and if she were to face worse punishment, uh, and I'll just kind of end it off on this note, I hope she sues the ass off of whoever mm. lays down that punishment um, because she deserves to be treated fairly <laughs> in this situation and not to be made into the villain, um, especially when both of them are kind of culpable um, just based off of the details that we have. Uh, but we're going to go ahead and move forward off of that topic, and we're going to move into a interesting um, revelation made about former Green Bay Packers, Jets, Vikings, and Falcons quarterback Brett Favre, who has been accused of stealing $5 million in welfare money um, well, not stealing directly, but contributing to $5 million of welfare money being wrongly diverted to his alma mater, the University of Southern Mississippi, um, to build a volleyball stadium where his daughter just so happens to play volleyball. What do you make of this? Because I'm still having trouble wrapping my head around exactly how this was allowed to happen, why anyone thought it was a good idea, and what small university has a separate arena for their volleyball team. Not a damn soul has a separate arena for a volleyball team. Not that volleyball doesn't matter. I'm not saying that. But they're not you're not getting your own separate stadium. Let's say I'm saying that right there. I believe that maybe some larger schools like Duke University and stuff like that I don't believe that they play at Cameron Indoor. I could be wrong, but uh, like the University of Southern Mississippi, like the only time I've ever heard anyone talk about them is with Brett Favre in that context. That's all I've ever heard. But Brett Favre is disgusting, dude. Brett Favre is a disgusting human being because you stole money. I don't care. You stole money from people who need it. In one of the poorest states I, in the I was country. Just about to say that too. In in the probably the top poor the one probably the poorest one. Maybe not. I could be wrong. But you're in the top three at least. Top three in the most poorest states, and you're going to steal money from them to build a volleyball court. You didn't even build a football. You didn't even build a football stadium. You didn't. And how long does it? How long does it take to build something like that? His daughter's going to be graduated by the time everything's the time said and done. done. And that's if they even start by the time she's while she's there. So in reality, you wasting money. Your kids, your kids, not even gonna play in it. You ain't gonna expedite it to move no faster. Brett Favre is a disgusting human being, and the fact that no media has said a single word is mind-boggling to me. I have heard 
no coverage on this whatsoever outside of the news you hear from different posts and such. I haven't heard no major media mogul. I haven't heard Stephen A. say anything. I haven't heard Skip say anything. I haven't heard Shannon say anything. I haven't heard a single word. Everybody's mute. Everybody's silent. I, I don't get it because even when we don't have all the facts, we sit here and make our own opinions. We create our own stories based on the little bit of facts that we have heard. And I haven't heard a word about Brett Favre. And that might be more disgusting to me than the fact that he did this shit. And I'm pissed that he did it because how dare you steal money from people who need it? And this isn't the first trouble Brett Favre has gotten into. But before I even say that, I need to hear your take on it because I don't get I don't get how we're allowing this to go. Just well, and I, I think that there is an element of this that you're holding back. Um, so I'm just going to go ahead and say the quiet part out loud. Uh, ESPN, when Michael Vick had his dog fighting schedule or dog fighting scandal, 24-7 coverage. Adrian Peterson, when he was accused of hitting his son with a switch, 24-7 coverage. Brett Favre steals $5 million from taxpayers. Not a single word. And so I'm just going to say it. It seems like the broadcast networks are afraid to criticize white athletes the same way that they criticize black athletes. And the only people that I've heard talking about this are really like independent podcasts and things like that and independent news media outlets. I don't know why exactly it is, but I'm frankly disgusted by the fact that anytime a black player in the NFL does something that we're constantly hearing about it and it's thrown in your face at every single turn. But when you get, you know, I'm not going to call him arguably one of the best quarterbacks of all time, because in my opinion, Brett Favre is a compiler and he's actually extremely unremarkable and probably held the Packers back from uh, actually winning a few championships. But that's besides the point. Um, When a very, you know, notable white athlete does something that is hurting, you know, hundreds of thousands of people, we don't get a word from it. I just don't understand. I can't fathom how you could hear this news and not want to talk about it. And frankly, like, it's really kind of showing the true colors of some of these networks like Fox and ESPN. And I want to know why I'm not hearing about it. And I wish that I had the channels to bring somebody on and ask these hard questions because it's kind of hard to ignore the racial element of this. You notice how you said Fox? The ESPN, you said Fox. Right there. ESPN is known for not drudging up stuff that can incriminate them or have them involved because if those who don't know, Brett Favre had a brief moment where he had a, a radio station or a radio show, and it was on Sirius XM, and it was also with ESPN. Now, they've suspended it. Like, he hasn't been fired or nothing, but they basically put his show on hold until this whole thing either blows over or they figure out what they're going to do and, and whatever. But he had a show. It, was, it clearly didn't last long, but he had a show, and that's probably part of, part of the reason that you haven't heard anything. But like I said, prior to letting you, you know, speak your piece, this isn't the first time Brett Favre has done some wild shit. This is not the first time. Oh, that's facts. I mean, you can just look up Brett Favre and you can see like the amount of just, uh, disgusting stuff that he's said and done. Like there's no shortness of it. Not even a little bit. And for those who don't know, 
he, I don't know who he was working for. It might have been NBC. Whoever he was working for while he was retired as an analyst for them, it might have been an NFL network. He basically sent nude photos of himself. To I, forgot about that. Yeah. I forgot about yeah. that. I forgot about that. Yeah. The man's sick. He sent new photos of himself, you know, talking dirty. It was him and, like, two other, like, former players that were, like, analysts. And that, if we want to be real, that got swept under the rug. Because you heard about it briefly, and then everybody was just gone. Because I'm pretty sure he was, it was him. I think also Jamie Dukes. And maybe a third person. But for him to do that years ago... And we're coming basically coming back full circle of him stealing money. It's like what what else haven't what haven't you done, man? What haven't you done to try to better yourself and make yourself feel like the top dog? Because that's what this is. You wanted to sit there and go to your former college and and try to pro- promote the bad boy on campus because your daughter is playing volleyball. So for my daughter, I'm gonna build her a whole new volley uh, volleyball co- uh, stadium that she'll never play in. He'll just watch as they sit there and pick up dirt and toss it somewhere as they get ready to make this. Like, I don't even know what the purpose of this is. I really don't get it. I mean, let's think about Brett Favre as a person and just the things that he did in his career uh, going into retirement and then coming out of retirement. Um, Do you remember that Monday night football game where Aaron Rodgers played? I think it was the day after his dad died. And that's all that anyone talked about that week. Uh, you talking? He played the Raiders. You talking about Brett Favre when his dad passed, and he like threw like four touchdowns in that game. Yeah, yeah. He so, played like the yeah. day after his dad died. Yeah, so yeah, because he, he played the Raiders, I remember that game. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then he, you know, did the retire unretire thing. I think twice. Um, and basically, what I'm saying is, is that Brett Favre is a little bit of an attention whore. Yeah. He wants yeah, everything agree. to be about him. He wants the spotlight on him. And I'm pretty sure that that's going to wind up being the name of the episode, Brett Favre Attention Whore. <laughs> I love it. I love it. But he, he this is like we said, like this is nothing new. But the problem is, the bigger problem is not only this issue, but the fact of what you pointed out, because I forgot all about the stat you pointed out with Mike Vick. Mike Vick got all that attention for letting dogs fight. This man stealing money from poor people who need it. And we've heard not even a whisper. Not even a crack, or not even a pin drop, in regards to what he's done and how the situation is being handled, because they want to keep quiet and keep it under the rug. And as as media folk, they we gotta stop doing. Not we, they gotta, because I'm gonna say it. They gotta stop. I was about to say we ain't never held nothing back. You remember that time I got sued for a million (laughs) dollars? Didn't get a dime. So it. It's just mind-boggling the amount of people who are willing to go that mile of keeping hush so that they don't, you know, um, not break barriers, but so they don't break relationships with people that they might need in the future so that they can better themselves. Like, nah, be it, you know, speak your peace, bro. Those who really have a problem with it will say something. And those who don't, as long as it benefits them, will say nothing. What's up, guys? It's Jmar from the Zach and Jmar podcast. Check out my new podcast, the Hitch and Hook podcast, along with my co-host Nick Ransom, where we talk all things NFL raw and unfiltered. 
Give us a follow on Twitter at Hitch underscore Hook. Again, follow us on Twitter at Hitch underscore Hook. Can't wait till you hear what we have to say. Moving on to the NFL action of the week, we are going to start off with a huge statement win by the Miami Dolphins against the Buffalo Bills. The Dolphins and Bills had a tight contest all the way through with the Dolphins narrowly edging the Bills by a score of 21 to 19. There was a lot of different storylines that could have come out of this game. Um, I think that strictly from an impact on the season standpoint, the Dolphins winning against the Bills, the Bills uh, were kind of anointed by the national media as Super Bowl champions before the season even started. And the Dolphins came and made a statement at home against a division opponent who was maybe not so heavily favored as far as the gambling line, but heavily favored by the national media. And some would look at this as an upset win, but here come the Dolphins sitting at 3-0, one of only two 3-0 teams left in the league. And the Dolphins have two back-to-back impressive victories with the Dolphins' comeback win over the Ravens last week. Jamar, what are your thoughts on the Dolphins-Bills game? Tua, Tua keeps proving me wrong. Tua keeps proving me wrong. And I'm not going to lie to y'all, I hate it. I hate being proven wrong. I don't like it. It makes, me, makes my skin itch. I don't like it. I'm not comfortable with it whatsoever. <laughs> but... Props to Tua for putting together another good game, you know. But this was all defense in my mind. This game was a defensive battle back and forth. Who was going to give up what? And it just came down to the final, to the wire, really. And Miami was able to pull it out. The Bills, this should be a learning experience for the Bills. This should be that punch the slap in the face to tell you you need to wake up. Just don't don't think those first two games you're just gonna be breathing through every football team in the league until the, the Super Bowl if you make it that far. You know teams are gonna be gunning for you, especially after they hear that you're the you know you're the top favorite to win the Super Bowl. They're gonna be gunning for you, especially teams like Miami who have something to prove. Tua has something to prove. Tyreek doesn't really have something to prove, but kinda because he made it seem like Tua was better than Patty Mahomes, which regardless of stats, I don't believe that whatsoever. But Miami had a great game. Tua played great despite, you know, getting knocked out early in the game or the middle of the game and coming back in after a few plays and continuing to play and looking fairly decent. Um, I'm not anointing him the top quarterback. I think Jalen Hurts is better than him right now. But Tua Tua is proving me wrong, and he is riding the ship and carrying his team on his back (laughs) as best he can, and they are 3-0 because of it. So I definitely agree with you as far as uh, Tua is not the best quarterback right now, but he is proving that he has the ability to win. He had a very pedestrian game on Sunday, throwing 13 of 18 for 186 yards and a touchdown. Uh, The rushing attack was not very impressive whatsoever for the Dolphins. You've got six carries for 21 yards from Chase Edmonds, eight carries for 11 yards from Raheem Mozart. You got one carry for nine yards from Waddle, and then Ingold and Tua both had one rush apiece with no yards. Um, so far, like it was a very pedestrian day for the Miami Dolphins offense. The fact that they were able to put 21 points on the board, very remarkable considering the fact that they did not get much production in either the passing or the rushing game. 
Um, and you look at the other side of the coin, like if I told you straight up that Tua was going to pass for 186 yards and a touchdown at 13 for 18, but I told you that Josh Allen was going to go 42 for 63, throwing for 400 yards and two touchdowns, you would assume that would mean that the Bills absolutely blew the bricks off of the Miami Dolphins. But the Dolphins' defense showed the epitome of bending and not breaking. They were able to let Allen go with those chunk plays and everything like that and have a hell of a game as far as just repetitions throwing the ball. Uh, the rush offense was not very impressive from the Bills as far as Josh Allen being their leading rusher at eight rushes for 47 yards. Um, but it was really just an epitome of toughness for the Dolphins' defense. And the Bills, I think, and the Dolphins could potentially fall into this category too. Both of them need to get a rushing attack together and become more three-dimensional because if they're just going to have their passing attack be their number one option, there are going to be teams in the playoffs that are going to step up and stop them. I think that this is a concern for both teams, but right now the Dolphins with their defense stepping up like that are looking like the better team in the division so far. And forget the Bills being Super Bowl champions, but there's a potential that they might not even win their own division. Ooh, that's a good point. Uh, so what I'll say to that about, you know, them, they do need to get their running game together, both teams, especially the Bills. The Bills have been struggling to run the ball for like the last three or four years now, really since Josh Allen became their quarterback. They do need to get the run game together, but the plus side for them is they're in the AFC. So the AFC outside of like certain teams, like, you know, the Ravens and who else? Nobody else really truly like is a run first uh, team besides the Ravens and the AFC that I can think of right now at this moment. A lot of these teams are pass happy. So that's going to play perfectly into what the Dolphins and the Bills do, which is sling the rock. I don't think any quarterback should be throwing 60 times in a game. I don't care what your style of play is. I don't think any quarterback should be throwing 60 times a game. I don't. Um, that's, that's just a recipe for disaster, especially considering you threw it 63 times and y'all lost. And you only scored, what, four, uh, 17 points? Yeah, like you, you, didn't even, you didn't even crack 20. When yeah, the last and two games, you've done like 30, 40 points a game. Like, so the offense only scored 17. Overall, they yeah. did score two points on that safety. Um, uh, the butt I, punt. I, yeah. The, oh, we <laughs> haven't even gotten to that yet. Uh, that was just – I've never seen anything like that in my life. And that, <laughs> when I saw that ball hit that dude in the ass and just bounce into the stands, number one, that shit had to hurt. I know it did. And number two, the punter just had to feel so ridiculous in that instance where it's just like, wow. Honestly, I don't understand why they didn't have the punter rush to the right and kind of get out of there and then punt the ball. It would have been probably better for them in that instance. Worst case scenario, they get a safety anyway because the punter gets hit. But what I'm looking at as far as Josh Allen, and I want to talk about your point of no quarterback being able to throw 63 times a game. And I am definitely agreeing with you because Josh Allen is being put under tremendous physical stress as far as he rushed eight times, got 47 yards. That's exposing him to getting hit. He got sacked Mm. twice. So the Bills offensive line was doing a decent job there and he threw 63 times. 
And if I'm the Buffalo Bills, I got to think about starting to protect my investment a little bit more when it comes to Josh Allen. Yeah, you can put an offensive line out there, but if he's going to be rushing the way he is and he's going to be throwing the way he is, his body is going to start to break down at an accelerated rate. There's especially no way that, that extra game, especially with that extra game they added. In the exactly. And there's no way that he's going to be able to keep up with that pace all the way through the playoffs. Can you imagine what stress it must put on the arm if you're in Buffalo in negative two degree weather in January in an AFC championship game and you have no rushing attack? So you have to rely on Josh Allen's throwing 63 times in that type of weather. That sounds like a good way for his right arm to fall off in the middle of that game. And if that's not how it falls off, then the aggressive way that he runs and goes directly at the defense while impressive, that is also going to make his body fall apart very quickly going into the postseason. So if I'm Buffalo, I need to look at what available running backs there are right now, and I need to get someone on my team besides Devin's single carry and make sure that there is a rushing attack that is going to give... I'm sorry, that was a good one. They got to make, <laughs> make sure that... um. There is a rushing attack that can protect Allen and give him a little bit of a rest in the throwing game or else they're going to break down late in the playoffs and then a more balanced offense out there is going to be able to go forward because as we've seen over the last few years, you are not going to have a one or two dimensional offense and make it to the Super Bowl. You need to make sure that you have lots of weapons. You need to make sure that you have a good running game. You need to make sure that you have good receivers, which they have. You need to make sure that you have somebody who can sling the ball down the field and also be accurate on those short passes. And if they can't mix it up a little bit, they're going to be able to drop more people into that secondary into coverage positions and not really have to worry too much about those uh, rushing attacks and it's going to allow the defense to spread themselves out and be able to really hone in on those passes and potentially start turning some of those throws into interceptions. I know right now the turnover bug isn't biting Josh Allen, but it's something that they should look into before it's too late. Uh, yeah, I agree. And I'm gonna say one last thing. That's what that you would think that that's what James Cook is there for. Like that's what they drafted him for because they haven't the Bills haven't been able to run the ball. They just, they just haven't. They've been relegating the run game to quick outs, quick screens, you know, wide receiver screens and all that type of stuff. And that's just not going to cut it. It's not, just like you said, it's not going, it's not going to make a difference. It's just going to cause more stress on your quarterback because y'all can't, they're not going to be able to run the ball. James Cook up to this point has shown, not has shown, but he's revealing to people that he might not be the ball carrier that people think he is. He might be better as the third down back, you know, catching the ball out the backfield, but that's what you have Zach Moss for. So you got Singletary and then question mark because nobody else is really going to be able to tote the rock and run the ball the way they want to run the ball. James Cook will have moments, at least for right now, from what I've seen, he just has moments, but we haven't seen him put it together. I get he's a rookie, but that's what they drafted him for. They drafted him to be able to run the ball when nobody else could run the ball because he's a bigger back. He has the ability to bounce off tackles and keep his feet or keep himself upward with his footwork. And he just hasn't been able to do that yet. And I think if they don't figure that out in the next couple of weeks, it's just like you said, they're going to destroy Josh Allen's arm because they're going to have to throw it 40, 50 times, maybe even 60 times a game. And it doesn't help that James Cook only got one rushing attempt in this game to get three yards. 
I don't understand why you would uh, waste that draft pick and not utilize this guy who obviously yeah. in college was a pretty talented runner. So I don't know. I think that uh, the coach has something to think about going forward. Uh, they're going to have a test against the Ravens coming up this week. Um, don't want to dive into the Ravens too much right now because we're going to get to them a little bit later. But I do believe that this offense, the way that they are set up currently, is going to be an issue for the Ravens just considering what Tua was able to do to their secondary. Hopefully everybody's going to be healthy. Um, it definitely looks like um, Marcus Peters is getting a little bit closer to 100%, but the Ravens are going to need to be at 100% in that secondary if they want to have a chance against Josh Allen on Sunday. But with that being said, we're going to go ahead and move forward to another game that had an interesting result. Uh, this one, not because it was close, but because it was two pretty bad teams going up against each other, uh, defending AFC champion Cincinnati Bengals going up against the New York Jets. The Jets coming off of an impressive win against the Cleveland Browns the week before that comeback win with less than two minutes down 13 points. And then the Bengals, who started off 0-2, very inauspicious start for them. They were not looking very good. But Joe Burrow looked like he was back to form, throwing 23 for 36, 275 yards and three touchdowns and also starting to get it going a little bit on that rushing game for the squad. Um my question to you, Jamar, is are the Bengals back or did they just play the Jets? Eh, they just played the Jets. They just played the Jets. That's all it is. You, you, you didn't do anything special. The Jets barely beat Cleveland, and Cleveland's not even supposed to be as good as they are right now. So uh, I'm not really harping too much on this game. Like, I don't think it's proved anything. Like, this just – this was just a better offense beating a worse defense not that the and I don't think the Jets defense is awful but compared to the star power that is on the the Cincinnati Bengals it was very evident like how this game was gonna go I didn't matter what they did last week because like I said last week you played the Browns the Jets played the Browns this is not the Browns this is a Bengals team that has a very potent offense especially through the air with Joe Burrow Jamar Chase T Higgins and Tyler Boyd, who made a great appearance this week with that 50, 50, 60 yard touchdown catch and run. So I didn't learn anything about the Bengals. I still don't. I need you. I need to see you face a top tier team and win and not play terrible all the way through three and a half quarters and then pull something out your ass in the last five minutes of the game. So this wasn't the Bengals resurgence game, if you will, just you beat the Jets. So whoop de doo and I can definitely see where you're coming from with that. But as far as I'm concerned, I did learn something about the Cincinnati Bengals this week. And what I learned is that when their offensive line actually produces, they're still a competitive team. The Jets, although they may be the Jets, they do have a decent pass rush over there and they are able to get to the quarterback typically. And Joe Burrow, who as of last week was on pace to be sacked, I think I said 110 times on the year. Only got sacked two times this week, which as far as the Cincinnati O-line goes is a miracle because they were allowing quarterback hits and sacks on damn near every other play of the game. And what I saw out of Joe Burrow passing for that 275 and three touchdowns is, is that when he gets the protection that he needs, he's able to get the ball down the field. 
and the Cincinnati wide receivers are able to catch it. So if Cincinnati can get their offensive line woes under control, they can still be a competitive team. The only thing is, is that it's really hard to get offensive line help during the season. So it might already be too late for the Bengals who thought that they had fixed the problem in the offseason. But if they can play like they did today, then the Bengals could find themselves in a wild card situation later in the season as long as they can keep Joe Burrow on his feet. They need to make sure that they do that because of the injury history there because his knee, you know, even though he's one year post that injury, like his knee's probably never going to be fully the same. And if he keeps getting hit, they can put themselves in a situation where they lose out on a franchise quarterback. So what I learned about the Bengals is they probably – can get to the postseason if they can keep it up. But from an overall standpoint, I'm going to need a much larger sample size and I'm going to need to see more games where they can keep Joe Burrow right side up and they can keep him protected in order for him to actually go down the field with those big throws and make the plays that we're used to him seeing or that we're used to seeing from him. Right. And you made your point about, you know, the offensive line. And I think, like I said, like you said, you're right. It's, the Jets have a decent pass rush, so for them to only give up two sacks is phenomenal. But there is no star-studded pass rusher on that team just yet. Like, we have star players from college that can turn into that, but they're not quite there yet. So when they play, excuse me, when they play a team like Dallas, with Micah Parsons and Demarcus Lawrence and all those, you know, real pass rushing type players, we see a different O line now. As far as they play, my who Miami Thursday is that who they play? I think that's the Thursday game. Miami. Uh, let me go ahead and check cool. that out for you real quick. It looks like yeah, the Thursday game is going to be Miami and Cincy. Yeah, that's going to be a test because Miami has a pass rush. They got a decent secondary. Um, but they got a pass rush. So I'm interested to see. That'll be the game that'll tell me if since he's kind of getting their, getting their sea legs under him or if, you know, we about to just wash them in, in the water. They're about to wave away off into the water because they're not as good as they were last year. And it's because that offensive line is still having problems. We'll find out come Thursday whether it's going to be real or fake. But kudos to the Bengals for getting their first one of the season. You, you got that monkey off your back. Now, let's see Let's see you keep the wheels rolling, and let's see what happens. I got a feeling that they're going to get those wheels blown off of them on Thursday night, but that's just from seeing the fact that they actually had their offensive linemen dig in there and protect the quarterback. I think on a short week, I find it hard to believe that they're actually going to be able to dig in there and keep him right side up. But uh, my hope is that we get a good game this week because, in my opinion, the Thursday and Monday night games, um, they weren't really that entertaining. And the Sunday night game wasn't great either. So we didn't have a good primetime week. I mean, we had some close scores, but it wasn't really great football to watch. It was kind of ugly football. So I'm hoping that we can get a little bit better of a show. Um, but we're going to go ahead and move on to the Eagles, who are the second team in the league right now along with the Dolphins and the Eagles blew out the Commanders by a score of 24 to 8 all 24 of those points were scored in the second quarter by the Eagles Jalen Hurts with another great game going 22 for 35 with 340 yards and three touchdowns the rushing attack was also uh, helping out a little bit there they didn't get over 100 yards but 
this is one of the few games this week where the quarterback wasn't the leading rusher and we didn't see uh, abysmal efforts. So the Eagles seem to be clicking on all cylinders, especially their receiving core, who it seems like each week they pick a different player to be their number one receiver and they wind up shining out. This week it turned out to be Devontae Smith with eight receptions for 169 yards against a dismal commander's offense and Carson Wentz, who is just a walking retirement home resident. Um, He is a a broken Ryan Fitzpatrick. (laughs) Exactly. So um, overall from this game, Jalen Hurts, what I saw was that he was slinging it. But what are your thoughts as far as the Eagles and commanders matchup? And what do you think that the Eagles ceiling is for this season? Oh, bro, their ceiling is really, really high. And it's not even just because what we've seen from them in these last few weeks. Well, I mean, yes, it is that. But look at their, let's look at their schedule real quick, right? You got the Jaguars this week, which I think that'll be a tough game. They can win it, but that'll be a tough game. Then you have the Cardinals, Cowboys, Steelers, Texans, Commanders again, and then Colts, and then you get then it gets slightly tougher, and then back to normal they have a pretty easy schedule those last five games are like you can win at least one if not all of them you can win three or four of these five games that i just named that i i went through like they can beat the cardinals they can beat the jags they can beat the cowboys they can beat the steelers and the texans like so they could really just they could end up being they could easily win 13 or 14 games this year yeah, man, they they can they they have a very easy schedule. Now, is that necessarily a good thing? I say yes to get you to the playoffs, but that's when you re- that's when you meet the big dogs. And that's when we'll really see are the Eagles the Eagles or is this was this just a thing of easy scheduling? Now, for right now, I'm going to sing all sing all praises Jalen Hurts in that offense because they are Toting the rock, slinging the ball, and handling business and taking names. They destroyed the commanders. Didn't expect anything less, but they destroyed the commanders in in easy fashion. And Jalen Hurts did his thing really through three quarters. Like the fourth quarter didn't even matter because that game was out and and out, out and done. So I think the Eagles are for real in the moment. And as far as their schedule goes, but we'll see when they because they're gonna make the playoffs. It doesn't. It, they're gonna make the playoffs. But that offense and that defense are playing at an extremely high level. And right now, nobody except Buffalo, if you just exclude this one week where they lost, is matching that level of tenacity. And I think that's great for Jalen Hurts. And I can't wait to see how the season plays out. But as of right now, they are they are the team to beat. Absolutely. And their defense is looking pretty good as well. I know it was against the commanders, but they were able to get nine sacks. Um, I know that Carson Wentz, a strong wind will blow him down, but still it's very good to see that from the Eagles defense, especially in the NFC, which in my opinion is very weak this year. You still have your Brady and Rogers, but we'll get to Brady a little bit later, but he's been looking a little bit more pedestrian over the last couple of weeks. Rodgers hasn't been blowing people out of the water all season like we're used to. We're starting to see them kind of come back down to earth, and I care about my credibility, so I'm not going to say that either one of them are on a permanent downswing, but they're not 
playing up to par right now. And with those two being, you know, the Giants and the NFC, not the Giants as in the team, but Giants as in those are the two big names that Mm. are really popping out uh, off the paper in the NFC. It's not anywhere near as competitive as the AFC is where you've got Lamar Jackson, Josh Allen, Pat Mahomes. You've got Tua now coming out of the woodwork and you've just got so many great quarterbacks that are young and so many teams that are young and hungry and ready to beat up on the world. I'd be surprised if we see an NFC team win the Super Bowl this year or even really have much of a shot at it because of how competitive the AFC is this year. But it's a little bit or not a little bit, it's a lot easier of a path coming through the NFC. And I think that that easy schedule, like when you look at it, it's because the NFC is pretty weak this year. So yeah, they got a couple weak AFC teams in there as well. But I think that they should find themselves, if they keep playing at this level, at least in a conference championship game. I definitely think that you still have to look out for the veteran leadership of both the Packers and the Buccaneers as far as that goes, but the Eagles could be flying to a number one seed in the NFC, and I'm interested to see how that's going to turn out. Oh, I can't wait. I can't wait. The NFC, I'm with you. The AFC is probably going to be the conference to beat, and the NFC is just going to have to pick up the scrums and and make their way to uh, the Super Bowl, because I have no idea from the NFC who who could potentially get there, probably except the Eagles. They're the only team that has shown that they could make it that far. But it's still early. It's really early, so we have to wait and see. Absolutely. And Jalen Hurts, if he keeps playing at this level, is going to get himself into the MVP conversation. But that's very far down the road, so we're going to go ahead and pivot over to another MVP candidate, uh, the man who is leading the NFL and I believe, completion percentage, passing touchdowns, and I think his QBR is number four in the league right now, that would be one Lamar Jackson of the Baltimore Ravens who went out to New England this week and they played the Patriots, beating them by a score of 37 to 26. The offense was slow to start, a lot of three and outs, but overall at the end of the day, Lamar Jackson went 18 for 29 for 218 yards, four touchdowns, one interception, and then also added one rushing touchdown on the ground. He had 11 carries for 107 yards on the ground, and he pulled ahead with his lead as far as 100-plus yards rushing games. I believe he now has 12 in his career to Michael Vick's 10. Overall, Jackson just continues to break records, and coming out of the halftime, it was definitely questionable as to how this game was going to go. But after a dismal fourth quarter last week, the Ravens were able to put the pedal to the metal instead of allowing those ghosts from last week to haunt them once more. And they were able to score in the fourth quarter um, and they were able to get the job done. So Jamar, as far as the Ravens game this week went, what are your thoughts and are the Ravens back on track? I never thought they were off track offensively. It was just the defense was, struggling a little bit last week and this week they struggled too but they were able to pull out the victory and let me tell you something Baltimore screwed up by not paying that man because he is going to command a market that is beyond belief by the end of this season 
He is still running the ball as effectively as Lamar can run the ball, but he is now showing the passing ability that people, not me, because I didn't, I'm not going to lie to y'all, I didn't believe in Lamar in his first two years. And then, well, really just the first year. After the second year, once I watched him play the second year, I became a believer. But in that first year, I was very up and down with him. But they should have paid him, and now they're about to have to break a couple banks in order to pay that man, because he's going to command over $300 million. The Ravens look just like the Ravens. Now, once J.K. – now it's going to get better. That run game is going to get way better than what we've seen the last few weeks when J.K. Dobbins gets those legs under him and he can start really running the ball. Let's not sit here and act like the Ravens have all their pieces offensively, because they don't. They still – Ronnie Stanley still hasn't played yet. He'll play, he'll, I'm sure he's coming back soon. Uh, Gus Edwards played yet. He'll be back eventually. But right now you have J.K. Dobbins and really Lamar. Those are your, those are your true, you know, your two running backs, so to speak, or your run game. I won't call him. I refuse to keep calling him a running back. That's your run game. And, I mean, it's working, and it's doing what, it ha- what they have to do to win the game. But that defense woke up. That defense woke up when they had to wake up because they were definitely letting Mac Jones, you know, kind of get in a groove with his offense, and they were putting up some points. And it was looking kind of scary. Just like you said, it was looking real scary. But Marlon Humphrey showed up. Marcus Peters showed up. And the rookie, the rookie Hamilton with the peanut punch, a man showed up. That's why they drafted him, for those reasons. He is a game changer. He can change games. That man hit a peanut punch, and that changed everything. In my eyes, that changed a lot because that got the ball. That killed whatever momentum the Patriots were getting and got the ball right back to the offense who, you know, handled their business to, to close out this game or win the game, although the, the fumble wasn't the actual ending. But it ended off with an unfortunate injury to Mac Jones. But the Ravens are still the perennial, perennial team in the AFC. I think they're top three. Um, I think it's only because they beat them, Miami, uh, Baltimore, Buffalo, and then you can, you can put it in any other order you want to put it in. But those three teams are the ones to beat. Oh, you can throw in, even though in Kansas city, but they lost to the Colts. So I'm very eh, with them because how do you lose to the Colts? But the Ravens are a team to look out for. Everybody take a deep breath. Let's calm down. Everything is okay. <laughs> We just have to keep rolling with the punches as they go. As long as this offense can continue to put up points, I think we'll be fine. So I definitely think that um, you made a good point about the offensive weapons for the Ravens not all being there. And I think that we saw some very encouraging signs from J.K. Dobbins, who even though he was only able to rush for seven carries for 23 yards, He was out there looking healthy and it looked like he wasn't hesitant and it looked like that he wasn't afraid to get hit. And I think that those are very important things after coming back from such a traumatic knee injury. And the fact that he was able to be out on the field for the majority of the game, only getting seven carries, but he was getting a decent amount of looks for him to be out there and able to get that exposure in his first game back after such a bad injury is a very encouraging sign. And another encouraging sign is that Justice Hill came back he rushed six carries for 60 yards he was adding another dimension to the Ravens offense that I think was sorely missed last week in the second half of that Dolphins game 
the Ravens, although their pass attack has been looking phenomenal, their rush attack was very one-dimensional as far as Lamar Jackson being their leading rusher every week. And though that was the case again this week, I think it's very important to note that as these running backs come up, it gives them a lot more options and they can start running a lot more trick plays as well. I think that Greg Roman still has some tricks up his sleeve and it should be something that's very interesting to look at going forward. I think that the reason why the Ravens may have lost that game last week is because of their inability to eat up the clock in the fourth quarter. And now that they are getting back some running backs and they don't have to rely on Mike Davis and Kenyon Drake to take those rushing attempts, we didn't quite see them run out the clock perfectly in the fourth quarter this week, but we should be able to see them eating up more clock and able to close out those games when it matters the most. And that's something that could be a big bolster for the Ravens to make sure that they don't have the same issues that they had against the Dolphins. Overall, I think this is a great bounce back win and good preparation for the Bills because the Patriots, even though they are low on talent, they still have the great Bill Belichick as far as their head coach. And I think that getting those creative looks and things like that and having to play a very gritty game as they did on Sunday it gives them an edge going into the Bills game and it prepares them for playing against better talent but slightly lesser coaching. And I think that that's going to be a really good sign moving forward for them. Also, as you mentioned, the defense with all of the turnovers, I think that that was a very important thing to see, even though they gave up 26 points to a team that's not necessarily the most talented on offense. They were able to get those interceptions. Mac Jones threw three interceptions overall in that game, and they were able to force those fumbles and especially doing so in the clutch time. It's something to build off of, and as the Ravens get healthier, I agree with you right now. You're looking at, I would say, probably the Bills and the Dolphins in a dead heat. I'll uh, mix it up differently, say that they're kind of like tied for number one right now because I'm not fully out on the Bills after the loss. But what I'll say is, is that those two are tied for one. And then I'd say like 1A right now is the Ravens. If they were able to win that Dolphins game, we'd be having a completely different conversation. Overall, they've scored 99 points this season. They lead the league in the most points scored. And they did so against the Dolphins defense. That's pretty good. A Jets defense that's young and talented. And then now against the New England Patriots defense, which it doesn't matter who they throw out there. When Bill Belichick and Matt Patricia get together, they're always going to have a strong defense. I think that these are really good signs for the Ravens and that we can be looking forward to a good season as long as Lamar can stay healthy. And I am begging, begging, begging them, even though he said that the contract talks were over, just to throw that $300 million out on the table right now so we don't have to worry about him not wanting to play on the franchise tag next season. I know it was reported that his quote-unquote camp said that he wasn't willing to play under the franchise tag, but he is his own camp, and I don't really see the incentive for him leaking that information. That's normally something that agents leak as leverage. And seeing as he's not playing uh, with an agent currently, I believe that um, maybe the speculation is poking through and it's not necessarily reliable information. But I think that Baltimore uh, really deserves to have this as one of their you know steadfast uh, superstars as far as our sports landscape goes, and they need to take care of that. Uh, so before we go ahead and go to break, uh, just one more question I wanted to ask about this Ravens-Patriots game. Obviously, you already touched on the hit that took Mac Jones out very briefly. Calais Campbell, as Mac Jones was releasing the ball, kind of went up on the shoulders, grabbed him, took him down. And they're saying that it could be a high ankle sprain, but they're seeking a second opinion 
on how bad it is and if it's going to require surgery. What are your thoughts on that hit? Because what I've been seeing as far as social media is some people have been accusing Campbell of giving a dirty hit, and they believe that that play should have warranted a flag. So I want to get what your opinion is on that. Well, the people who decide to call that, you know, a penalty are idiots. And they don't know football because he was clear within the one-step range to get him. He also had a lineman down at his feet. So, and, and on top of that, when he threw it, right as he released it, not even maybe a full second and a half later, Calais Campbell is right there. So, stop trying to stop trying to make everything a penalty because that wasn't a penalty. It was just it was an unfortunate accident is what it was. You know how it, it's just like if you see somebody, if you're chasing down somebody and they got something you want and you see them about to throw it, you lunge at them because you're trying to stop them. And that's basically what happened. He, in a sense, lunged at them and grabbed them. It's just the momentum carried them the wrong way. If they would have fell back, he'd have been fine. But because they fell forward and it kind of, you know, made him twist his leg, like, it happens. It's football. But don't call it a penalty because you didn't like the hit, because he got hurt. Had he not got hurt, nobody would have even batted an eye. But because he got hurt, it was a big deal. And, oh, it was a penalty. No, it wasn't. It's just the unfortunate way of the game. It's just unfortunate how the game goes. And it wasn't uh, malicious intent. He was just trying to go to the, go for the quarterback, and that's what he did. That's his job. He did his job. Mac Jones just unfortunately received an injury based upon the way that they fell, not even based on the hit, the way that they fell is how he got hurt. I definitely agree with that. And I think that anyone who thinks that that hit was malicious really just doesn't understand the context. Uh, Slow motion definitely changes the context of that. It looks like he has a lot more time. But I challenge anyone who had a issue with that hit to try and change the direction of your body in midair. The thing is that happened here is that Calias Campbell was parting the seas. He was coming through the offensive line. He found a gap between two linemen. He pushed off of one lineman, I believe, with his hand, um, or at least it kind of looked like he could have made contact pushing off. But what he saw in the moment that he pushed off was a ball in Mac Jones's hand, meaning that that quarterback still has the ball open for a sack, open for a fumble. You, Calias Campbell was just trying to make a play. I don't care how far ahead the Ravens are. We've seen just a week ago that the Jets came back from a 13-point deficit with less than two minutes. So if you're Calias Campbell, you're not going to pull up there and just say, oh, it's within two minutes, because you know that there's a possibility that you could lose the game. However, it may be unlikely, but we're not playing probability when we're out on the field. We are out there trying to make plays. I'm sorry that I'm saying we as if I play out there. I'm kind of realizing that. Um, I, I, what you all don't know is I actually am a defensive end for the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, oh, my God. <laughs> um, no, uh, I never played football in my life. My dad wouldn't let me. Uh, he was afraid that I was going to get in concussion. But anyway, when players are out there trying to make a play, um, and I beat knowing from playing other sports that a winner, you are going to play until that last out. You are going to play until that clock strikes zero. You are going to play until you hear the whistle. You are going to play until it is over. And you're not out there playing probability or worrying about anything like that. You're just worried about making a play. And to think that that hit was dirty 
is ridiculous to me and just not grounded in reality whatsoever. He was in midair. He is a 300-pound man, and he can run at speeds that you cannot imagine a human being running. These NFL players are world-class athletes, and to think that when you are going that fast and you were that strong that you can change the trajectory of your body midair when a half a second later he releases the ball is just it's fantasy. It's fairy tale. There's no way that he's going to avoid hitting him there. He grabs him by the shoulders. If he wanted to hurt him, he would have went for his midsection or he would have went for his leg. Yeah, but he grabbed him by the yeah. shoulders as if to soften the blow. There's no other reason why you would grab a quarterback by the shoulders like that. He was trying to make the impact as least hard as possible. And the fact that his leg landed a certain way, that's football, baby. And I'm not hearing any arguments to the contrary because they're just ridiculous and it's just not even worth our time to talk about it anymore. <laughs> yeah, well, I wish Mac Jones a speedy recovery. You know, nobody ever wants to get hurt and we'll see you in four to five weeks or however long they have you out for. <laughs> yeah, and I agree. Like, you never wish for someone to get hurt and hope for a speedy recovery. But as far as this being a dirty hit, just get out of my face with that bullshit. What's up, everybody? It's Zach from the Zach and Jmar podcast here bringing you some great news. We finally got our own Twitter account. Are you enjoying this episode? Well, make sure to check us out on Twitter at Zach and Jmar to get all of the takes that make it into the podcast live during the week. That's at Zach and Jmar, Z-A-C-A-N-D-J-M-A-R on Twitter. Check us out today. All right, so moving into segment three here today, getting you all wrapped up for the week. Uh, again, thank you for tuning in with us. We really appreciate it. Um, we're going to wrap up with our last slate of NFL games for the day. And we're going to start off by talking about the Colts shocking the Kansas City Chiefs. The Colts won by a score of 20-17. to 17. Um, Just blown away by the fact that the Colts even had a chance here. I wasn't following this game live because I thought that they were going to get blown out of the water. The Colts lost last week to Jacksonville and scored zero points. So the fact that they put up 20 on Kansas City's defense, very much surprising to a lot of people. And give credit to Matt Ryan, who came out for 27 of 37 for 222 and two touchdowns. Uh, Jonathan Taylor, not quite doing Jonathan Taylor things, only averaging 3.4 yards per carry, uh, 21 carries for 71 yards. But they were able to edge out the Chiefs, uh, scoring a touchdown in the fourth quarter, keeping the Chiefs scoreless in that fourth quarter. Um, and overall, holding Patrick Mahomes to a pretty pedestrian day by his standards. 20 of 35 for 262, one touchdown and one interception. Jamar, what are your takeaways from Tommy Townsend's loss against the Colts? Not Tommy Townsend. Just because he threw a pass. <laughs> well, listen. I feel like the Colts might have taken their first step into being what people thought the Colts would be this year, which is not necessarily out here, you know, slinging the rock, beating every team and everything. But you would think that they would have a better record than what they had coming into this game. And the way they played last week against Jacksonville, you, you had no idea. You 
knew they were going to get the brakes beaten off of them. Excuse me, by the Chiefs, and that just didn't happen. So kudos to that Colts defense. Excuse me again. Kudos to that Colts defense for putting up a fight. And are we starting to see a little bit of uh, animosity between Eric Bieniemy and Patrick Mahomes? Because they had a whole, they had a little dispute uh, going into the halftime because Patrick Mahomes wanted to put up more points. And the enemy was talking about, we're fine. Like, we don't need to put up any more points. And I believe they were only up by three at the time. If that, they might have been down. I'm not, I don't fully remember. But I believe the score was 17 to 14 at that time or 17 to 13. Yeah, 17 so to 13 were, at that time. So they were, they were up. They were up and wanted to try. And he wanted to put more points on the board. And the enemy was like, well, let's take what we got and go into the half. I feel like we're starting to see a little bit of. Not necessarily friction, but I think we're just starting to see a little bit of the minds coming together as it as it may seem. Because I think Patrick Mahomes kind of wants to push the offense. I think the enemy's like pulling the reins back on this, and I don't think Patrick likes that. I think that this if this isn't something that can be hashed out real quick, this could be a problem moving forward. Well, I'd be pissed off if I was the enemy too. I don't know how many platforms I have to say this on, how many times I have to say it on. The enemy should be a head coach somewhere, and the fact that he's passed over every single year as far as head coaching jobs go, I just I don't know how to explain how he is not an NFL head coach and Matt Rule is. Just pulling a random name. Or how Nathaniel, no, that's the perfect name. That's how Nathaniel name. Hackett is a head coach and Eric Bieniemy isn't. So I'd be pissed off if I was him too. And he knows that his best available job at his current level is where he is right now. But he's been trying to move up the ladder, taking interviews and stuff like that, and nobody's hired him as a head coach. So if I was him, yeah, I would have a little bit of frustration that I'm stuck dealing with Patrick Mahomes as an offensive coordinator when I should be out there winning Super Bowls as a head coach myself. But, you know, I... I, think that there could be a little bit of animosity as far as that team goes. I can see the cracks starting to develop, and I have a pretty interesting take. Are you ready? Yeah, I would love to hear this. Are the Kansas City Chiefs the Seattle Seahawks of old? Back-to-back Super Bowls, won one, lost one, becoming more and more pedestrian each year, not able to keep some of their key pieces because their quarterback is making a boatload of money. And so they're starting to fall apart and fall off little by little each year. Are we seeing a repeat of the Seattle Seahawks demise after losing that Super Bowl to the Patriots? Wow. That. Yeah. Nope. You called it. You called it. You said that I would be very uh, bewildered by this. And what? That that is definitely a, a out of left field take. I don't agree. <laughs> <laughs> I don't agree at all. And one of the reasons is because Pete Carroll is not and uh, Andy Reid. Why not? Andy. What makes Pete Carroll Andy Reid? What makes Andy Reid not Pete Carroll? Andy Reid won't call a play at the one-yard line 
to pass it on a on a pick slant play. If he does call a, a pass play, it's a little shovel pass. Right. Tell you that much. So I would rather deal with I, I like Andy Reid's mindset as an offensive head coach. I like the plays he calls. I like how he puts his players in different uh places to be successful. Peacock doesn't do that. Peacock right, but uh, Carroll is a is a hurrah, hurrah, hurrah type coach who just wants to be a player's coach and kind of let the players do their thing to some degree. Right, but go ahead and take just the specific coaching styles out. And from a roster construction standpoint, you had the Chiefs who just a few years ago had a very good defense and an offense that was blowing people out of this world. They had a really good offensive line. And now you look at it, you know, they've got some rookies on their offensive line. Most of that line that won them the Super Bowl is gone. Most of that line that won them the Super Bowl was gone the next year. And that's the reason why the Buccaneers absolutely blew them out of the water in the Super Bowl because they were putting all that pressure on Patrick Mahomes. I'm saying, like, you know, after the Super Bowl, they started committing a lot more money, and they haven't been able to retain pieces. They haven't been able to retain offensive line. They've lost some offensive talent, um, most namely Tyreek Hill having to go over to the Dolphins because they were unable to afford him. And that defense is starting to show cracks. I mean, look, Jacksonville the week before, as I said, Jacksonville – held the Colts to zero points. They were able to, I mean, I know they're a divisional opponent, but they were able to keep them off of the board. And then Kansas City comes out and allows 20 points. They don't have the players that they did before. So from a roster construction standpoint, why wouldn't they be the Seahawks? Kansas City never had a great defense. Like, minus the one year that they were, like, top-ranked, and I think that was the year they lost to the Patriots in the playoffs. The Chiefs have never really had a – I've never been a fan of the Chiefs. Steve Spagnuolo just calls, you know, blitzes at the right time, and it works out. They've never had a great defense, in my opinion. Like, I've never – they. it's always been offense has to score because the defense can't shut nobody down. So I've never thought the Chiefs' defense was that great. So the defense means very little to me. I can see more of what you're saying about them being Seattle-based offensively on how, you know, they're they're set. But I think they have a better chance of scoring points than Seattle did based on – and I'm, this is, I'm, just, I'm just bringing back in coaching style just because of the mindset that Andy Reid has or the way that he calls his plays or, you know, runs his offense is a better way to put it. The way he runs his offense. And another thing that's different is the Chiefs don't rely on the run game. Seattle's always been, even though they tried to make it Russell's team, it was still hindering on the run game. And whether or not, if they can't run the ball, excuse me, they can't do but so much. Chiefs don't have to run the ball. The Chiefs can pass. They still have good receivers. Juju Smith-Schuster, while he ain't the top-tier target, he's still a great receiver. Um, They have Robert. He's a good receiver, great as a stretch. He's a good receiver. Um, they got rid of Demarcus Rodgers. It's another uh, wide receiver that is escaping my brain at this very moment. That he's also, you know, not top tier, but he's reliable. And then you still have Travis Kelsey. So you still have they still have weapons. Mahomes still can get the ball out, however or wherever he can, sidearm or not. And the offensive line, I, you got that. Like that line is just not not that great. It's not that great. And it hasn't been since, you know, the Super Bowl when they lost their two offensive tackles and then 
they didn't re-sign certain pieces and drafted rookies and all of that. But I think they have a they still have a higher ceiling than the Seahawks. Like the Seahawks has always been, I know you can make a wild card, but you're not going any further than that. And you gotta Russell, remember, even after the back-to-back Super Bowl, and sorry to cut you off there, but even after that back-to-back Super Bowl, is our preseason expectations for them every year was that they were at least going to be in an NFC championship. It was a slow fall. I know that the most recent iterations, you got to think that was ten years ago almost now. Yeah. The most recent iterations of the Seahawks, they've been dismal, but it was a slow fall into just that ambiguity of you know this is a team that has a lot of offensive weapons that have seen better days basically all i'm saying is is that if seven years from now the chiefs haven't won another super bowl that'll be the second potential dynasty that tom brady has killed (laughs) in a 20 year span that is a very fair point but i i wouldn't say that the chiefs are the seattle seahawks of old because i still think they can possibly make a Super Bowl because of the way that their offense is run. But since you brought up Tom Brady, I think it's I think it's okay to switch switch over to our next topic about uh Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady. For those who didn't know, they had another uh marquee matchup this past weekend and Green Bay Packers fall to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Oh I'm sorry. Tampa Bay falls to the Green Bay Packers. I wish it was the other way around. Uh, 14 to 12. And to be fair, to be quite honest, I don't think anyone truly had a great game in this. Uh, Aaron Rodgers was 27 for 35 with 255 yards, two touchdowns and a pick. Tom Brady was 31 of 42, 271 and one touchdown. So pretty roughly equal numbers minus, you know, the extra touchdown and the pick for, uh, Rogers. So with that being said, Zach, I'm gonna let you start this one off. Do you think that this matchup that we saw this past weekend was better or worse than what we came to expect from these two quarterbacks? It's worse. And here's why I believe that over the last few matchups between Brady and Rogers, we've seen games that have really come down to the wire and this one did, but those games were masterfully played and they were just back and forth duels where you felt like both teams were just playing at the absolute highest level of football and they were delivering on not only an interesting game, but a game that was well played. And I don't think that this game was necessarily well played. I'm not going to say that it was sloppy, but it was kind of boring. Aside from the fact that it came down to a potential overtime and, you know, Brady went out there, he had to roll out because there was some pressure. I feel like that the play call was a little questionable and Brady had to throw into coverage and the ball was tipped and the game was ended right there. Um, I just think that that there was no moment of greatness from either player. There was no glaring moment in this game, aside from the missed two-point conversion there at the end, that really stood out to say that this is one of the all-time great games that we've ever seen. And I think that a lot of times when Brady and Rodgers match up, we get those all-time great games. But overall, both quarterbacks were very pedestrian and... Both quarterbacks have been somewhat pedestrian over the last couple weeks, 
And I think that we're not seeing them play at that high all-star MVP level that we're used to. I'm not saying that they're not going to bounce back later in the season. But overall, I was just disappointed by this game, and it didn't really deliver. And I thought that it would have been a great primetime game. But I'm aside from the fact that the primetime game also wasn't great, I'm kind of okay with the fact that it didn't make it into the 8 o'clock slot just because that would have been even more of a disappointment. Like, oh, we've got, you know, Brady, Rogers, Sunday Night, NBC, all that stuff, country music playing in the beginning, singing songs, all that, you know, rah, rah, that goes on with Sunday Night. And then we would have just had basically the same thing that was in that 49ers game, which is a very boring football game that comes down to you know only a couple scores and nothing remarkable i sat there and watched the whole sunday night football game i couldn't tell you a lick of what happened and i sat down and watched (laughs) most of that buccaneers game and aside from that two-point conversion there's really nothing to write home about so overall meh no i'm with you i am with you 1000 percent. it was a disappointment but i'm not shocked and as a Buccaneers fan, clearly I know more about what goes on in the Buccaneers camp than most do. And from what I've seen from them the past two weeks leading up into that game, I'm not surprised by anything that happened. Brady, it's not even Brady's fault. Brady's not pedestrian because he's looking old. He's pedestrian because he doesn't have a, he doesn't have his starting left tackle. He's, his center's gone. I mean, his, he has a rookie left guard. And then all his receivers, all his top receivers aren't playing. Evans, suspended. Godwin, hurt. Julio Jones, hurt. And all you had was Russell Gage, who was supposed to be the third receiver, Perriman, Scotty Miller, Darden, and whoever else. And nobody else but me. Oh, and, you know, you had Leonard Fournette. You know, that was your, that's probably your best player you have on the field beyond Brady. And they... This was a game that was going to come down to who was going to make the most mistakes. Let's let's put it, let's make this very clear. The Buccaneers will not win a damn thing with the way that this team is playing right now. The defense is going to be the reason that the, they even make it to the playoffs at this point. Because Rodgers threw two touchdowns in the first two drives, and they never scored a point after. Never scored a point ever after. Barely even sniffed the red zone. And when they got close to the red zone, Bucks came away with turnovers. So it's more about, in this game, it was more about who was going to make the most mistakes. And the couple drives where Brady kind of got the offense going, they fumbled. They had two fumbles. Both the receivers, Perriman and uh, Russell Gage, fumbled. And they were, they were, those were drive killers because both of those fumbles happen when they were basically within field goal range. If the Bucks kick one field goal, there's a chance they won this game because of the way the defense was playing. They did everything in the playoffs. They got a pick and a, and a, and a fumble. Like Defense did everything they could to keep the, the Bucks in the game, and the Bucks didn't get it going literally until basically under two minutes. And that was that. So I think I don't think the Packers are going to be much of anything in the NFC. They're just lucky they play in the NFC North. So that's like their saving grace for them to make it to the playoffs. But we've seen how the Packers handle the playoffs. So I'm not shocked by that. But the Bucs, 
they'll probably make the playoffs once again because of their division as well. But I don't know. If they can't get their offensive pieces back and finally get gelling, it's a long season. But if they can't get gelling soon with by week six, it's it's not gonna it's not gonna look good at all. So it was a that was a disappointing game to me, but it wasn't a shocking game to me. And I think overall you can really see with the impact of not having Godwin and not having like they did last year, Jones in the backfield. I think those two pieces, uh, Leonard Fournette rushing for 12 uh, carries, 35 yards, that's not going to get the job done. Tom Brady does need those play actions and things like that in order to be successful. And also, when your leading receiver is Russell Gage, who I've never heard of. um, He was a Falcon before he was a Buck. Well, that explains it. Um, yeah. I couldn't name anyone on the Falcons roster aside from Marcus Mariota right now. Oh, wait. And uh, is Young is Hoku still over there? Yeah, he's still there. All right. So I can name two Falcons players. So that makes a lot of sense as far as that goes. Uh, but pivoting back to the Bucs, uh, they needed that receiving. Uh, don't disagree with how things were handled as far as the suspension went. I said last week, like, you got to protect your teammates. And I stand by that. But also, this is kind of, you know, you can't have your cake and eat it, too. They sorely missed him receiving. Uh, Cameron Bright was their second overall receiver. And then Brashad Perryman was their third best receiver for the day. Ravens fans should remember that name. (laughs) Hey, I remember that name specifically because I used to valet when I was in college. And I remember I was uh, working Lardarius Webb's Christmas party. I forget what year it was, but not a single Ravens player left a tip for any of us except for Brashad Perriman, who was a rookie that year, I believe. He pulled up in his red Jeep Cherokee, and he was searching for what had to be about 10 minutes because he knew that he had money somewhere in his car, and he pulled out a $5 bill that he found under his seat, and he gave it to us, which was the only tip from an actual player that we received that day. Well, good, good for him. Thank you. Appreciate that, man. That was great. Yeah, <laughs> that five dollars came in clutch and made sure that I got some ramen noodles for that week. So I appreciate it, bro. Um, weird story from that Christmas party. Just while I'm, you know, going on about things that don't matter, I actually got to meet Steve Smith Senior that day, and he was dressed up like a penguin. Mind you, <laughs> it's it's October, so it's a rainy October night. It's about you know middle mid of October, so. It's already after sundown. It's probably about 40 degrees outside. Um, And this was when Steve Smith Sr. was on. um, He was injured. I think he had like an ankle injury or something like that. But he pops up to the party in an Uber, gets out, and he's standing there for a little bit, just kind of like talking to some people. And then he looks over at me and he says, you know what kind of weather this is? And I'm thinking this guy's going to say football weather or something like that. This man looks at me in the dead, wintry, wet night and says it's a wet t-shirt contest weather, and then walks away and goes inside. <laughs> Yo, what? <laughs> and that was the only interaction that I've ever had in my life and probably will ever have in my life with Steve Smith Sr. That's weird. That was weird. <laughs> that's, that's, okay. Okay, Steven. <laughs> oh, that's weird, man. Anyway, um... I think we're done on the bucks there, Um, but pivoting over to our last topic, Texas State Highway Patrol Officer Trooper Cooper 
And the Dallas Cowboys played against the New York Giants on Monday night. The Cowboys somehow came up on top 23-16 to and what was another not great game. Uh, very poorly played on both sides. But Trooper Cooper carries the Cowboys to victory. 21 for 31, 215 yards and a touchdown. I see some people saying that Dak should be worrying for his job. I'm not going to go that far because it's just absolutely ridiculous. But can Trooper Cooper be a serviceable NFL quarterback? As a backup, yeah. As a backup, yes. But if you want to thrust him into the starting role for like a whole season, you might want to rethink your thought process. Um, hey, that boy's three and zero though. I mean, that's great. <laughs> um, Ryan Fitzpatrick played for the Bucks and was one and zero in Week One, and then was boo boo for the rest of the season. So I, I'm not holding. I respect Cooper Rush. He is definitely, but he he's definitely a serviceable quarterback. But as a backup. Because in his mind, he doesn't have any pressure. If you ask me, there's no pressure. All you have to do is control the pace of the offense and try to get us a win. If you lose, are we going to be like, it's because Cooper Rush played garbage? No, nah, we don't have Dak. I would blame Dak. Cooper Rush, but, uh, you know, I'm very That's out that. on Cooper Rush. Dude looks That's like a Walmart that. brand Andy Dalton. And Andy Dalton played horrible for the Cowboys <laughs> in his little stint there. But where is no, he at now? Uh, the Saints. Oh yeah, that's Saints. right. He'll I'm never gonna Saints remember that. Job. That it it doesn't sound right. Andy Dalton with the Saints. I just don't. I don't know. There's something about uh, the Saints having a ginger quarterback that doesn't sit right with me. <laughs> I'm allowed to say that I'm a ginger. Hey, to each his own. Um, but you know, Cooper Cooper Trooper did what is doing what he has to do. He's game managing and he's finding the open targets as they were. I don't think he's that accurate, also. So like, that's another thing that like I have against him. He's not the most accurate quarterback. Like there was one pass to I think it wasn't it was Noah Brown. It was a pass to Noah Brown that was high as hell, like really high, and Noah basically had to use all of his vertical to jump up and go get that. And had he not done that. That joint would have been a pick. Yeah, so, but then you look at the other side of it. There was that one that he put over C.D. Lamb's shoulder, like right into the bread basket, and C.D. Lamb just dropped it. It would have been an it. easy yeah. six. So I'm showing off his butterfingers. Yeah, it's like you know, damned if you do, damned if you don't. He throws a perfect yeah. pass, and then you know they're number one, quote unquote, number one receiver because I'm still C.D. Lamb, not sold on him being a number one or having the potential He's He's a for some. Two. It, it seems like the Cowboys like to pivot to names, like with Ezekiel Elliott. You know, they're keeping him as RB1 when Tony Pollard is easily the best running back on that team. It's something about them going with big college names instead of the actual logical thing, which is, you know, starting the people who are producing on a weekly basis. But that's beyond the point. And either way, I, I'm definitely out on his accuracy. I'm out on him as a backup quarterback. And I think that if he goes against a real football team uh, with a good defense, that he's going to have issues. It just so happens once he played against the Bengals and the uh, Bengals and the Giants this year. Giants, teams yeah. that I'm not very impressed by. So I'm out on him. But uh, Cowboys fans, they're going to keep shoving it in our face. And I... Can't wait until their season takes a downturn because I can't stand a happy Cowboys fan. 
<laughs> I have friends who are Cowboys fans, so I wish them all the well. I just don't care about the Cowboys. <laughs> yeah, I can definitely agree with that. Anyway, um, unless you've got any more, I think that's all we've got time for today. That's all I have. That's all I have. <laughs> so another exciting week in the NFL. Great action. Um, make sure that you all follow us on Twitter at Zach and Jamar. Spell out the end. There's no little end symbol in our name. It's just C-A-C-A-N-D-J-M-A-R. Make sure you give us a follow on Twitter. We're tweeting out videos and takes during football Sundays and throughout the week with anything interesting that comes up. Make sure that you're following us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, rating, reviewing, all that good stuff. Unsubscribe, resubscribe. Keep driving up that traffic. Send the podcast to your grandma. Send it to your coworker. Give it to your mailman. I don't care. Who you give it to, just give it to everyone you see. We really appreciate your support, and the traffic helps us make things happen. We're trying to grow over here, so give us everything you got. We appreciate the support tremendously. And anyway, I'm Zach. I'm Jamar. And thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Zach and Jamar. Everyone have a great week. Later.